Our scripture passage for this morning comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 7, as we read verses 13 through 23. Hear now the word of God. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Beware false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Thus ends the reading of God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. May he lay its eternal truths on our hearts this morning. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, this is a passage that it would be easy for us to miss here or misunderstand. Instead, would you make us receptive and ready to really hear the words of hope that you give us in the gospel. Send your spirit so that we do not listen by our own strength, but that we listen by your power and by your grace. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. I don't know how you felt hearing this morning's text read aloud. I suspect that uh, for, for most of us, it started off pretty well, and then by the end, you may have fallen into one of three groups. Uh, I think some people hear this text and they thoughtlessly go, good thing I'm a good tree, and we keep following the wide path, right? And the message goes right by us. Uh, we don't even see a warning here. We just assume we're good trees with good fruit, and we move on very quickly. Some of us, I think, feel the weight of this warning here. The second group, you might say, feel the weight of the warning here and, and almost straighten up in our seats when we hear this text because this is a person who hears the, the warning without being devastated by the warning, right? This is the person who is secure in Christ, but they hear the warning the way that it's meant to be heard. Uh, this is a text that puts you on alert, but it doesn't send you into a tailspin, right? So on the one hand, you have the careless person. On the other hand, I think you have the balanced person who hears what Jesus intends us to hear. But then you have a third group. Others hear this text, and it's like seeing their worst nightmare. It's like seeing the thing they are most afraid of in life in bold colors before their face, that Jesus would one day look at us and ever say those words from the last verse of our reading, I never knew you, depart from me. 
And as I approach this text today, as I was thinking about today's text and how do you minister to that spectrum of people, I, I tried to do that with that awareness that there are so many people who hear the same text, but they have a very different response to it. And so my, my hope is to look at what Jesus says here and not what we are afraid that he says. And, and my hope is also to look at what Jesus says here and not what we would like him to be saying. Jesus has an agenda here with his listeners. He has an overall purpose that he's aiming for in this passage. And so in these verses, Jesus is bringing us an invitation to truly follow him and not pretend to follow him. Um, it is very easy for a Christian to fall into a rut that we just sort of follow. And at some point we say to ourselves, perhaps hopefully we say to ourselves, why am I doing this again? Why am I coming to church? Why am I reading scripture? Why am I praying? Uh, uh, you fall into the rut and the pattern and eventually sometimes you ask yourself why. And maybe you don't have an answer except habit. I think sometimes we do need a wake-up call when we start to zone out in our, our Christian lives. Sometimes we need to be reminded of what matters and why we do what we do. And, and Jesus is using this stark language here and in a sense he's splashing cold water on your face this morning with this text if you mostly hear jesus threatening you today you are not hearing him right and if you mostly hear him telling you that you are just fantastic that you are enough then you are definitely not hearing him right see jesus is calling you to really follow him today not pretend follow him he's he's calling you to dig down deep and build on him and not on yourself that is what he's doing this morning. So what Jesus does, what does Jesus' invitation to follow him really look like? Well, we have three points this morning that I want to look at. The first is the narrow way. We see that in verses 13 to 14. Second is the test of fruits in verses 15 to 20. And then third, in sort of the movement and the logic of what Jesus is doing, we have the warning in verses 21 to 23. Do you want to be a real follower of Jesus? He is challenging you to stop going through the motions and follow him from the heart. Amen. Let's look at how he does this. So, so first, Jesus challenges his listeners with this illustration of the two ways through life. He says you can do the narrow way or you can take the wide way, the narrow gate or the wide gate. Um, Jesus is calling people to follow him, and he's telling them that following him will be challenging on one level and easy on another level. See, on the one hand, following Jesus is, is as easy as trusting him and resting in him. In another place, Jesus says, come to me and I will give you rest, right? He's presenting to you the easiness of the gospel. Following Jesus means resting and receiving. Notice how, how those are both passive things. Those are both things that, in a sense, we receive from Christ. In fact, one of them is literally receiving from Christ. And the other is resting. Both of those are not doing, but rather God doing, Jesus doing. Scripture tells us that we come with empty hands to let Jesus be our salvation. It, it's a, a matter of faith. We contribute nothing. We let him and his work be everything for us. And so in doing that, we set our eyes on Jesus. We trust in Jesus. On the one hand, it's easy. On the one hand, it's easy, right? It's so easy that even a child can do it. And in fact, 
Jesus tells us that in doing it, we should be like children. That's how simple it's supposed to be. That's how easy it's meant to be by God. But on the other hand, he's, he's also saying that we should be prepared for a challenge. He's, he's saying that we should be prepared for an uphill walk because living these things out will not be a cakewalk. By the way, we did a cakewalk at our last church and it, it, was, it was chaos. I don't know why anyone uses cakewalk as the standard for something being easy. Um, but anyway, <laughs> but living these things out won't be a cakewalk, Jesus says. While being a child of Jesus is easy, it is pleasant, it's as easy as breathing and eating and drinking. Our own hearts and the world around us mean that as his disciples, there is going to be friction in every area of our lives. And so as, as Jesus says, you know, the, the, the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. This isn't because there aren't enough good people out there who will act good and be good. It is because the human tendency is to default to the self. That's why that way is so hard, because what are we doing? We're constantly watching ourselves. We're constantly loving ourselves. We're constantly focusing on ourselves. We're constantly indulging ourselves. We are constantly living for ourselves. And the world around us is encouraging that. The world around us presses us toward that. We live in this individualistic, self-obsessed world, and few are encouraging us to do anything differently than that. This is just the default of the age we live in. What does Jesus say? He says, go through the narrow gate, live life that way. Don't, he's saying, take the hard path, swim upstream. Don't follow the world, follow me. That is, that's Jesus's answer. But, but then he also says that the wide gate is so tempting. Why is it so tempting? Because he says that way is easy. Those are his words. He says, that way is easy. Who wants to live the hard way, right? The easy way is, is so nice that, that, that's, that, that there is a way that most people go, that most people live following. That's the downward path. That's the easy path. That's the effortless path. That's the way that gravity pulls most people. Listen to how Martin Lloyd-Jones does it. Were you starting to miss Martin Lloyd-Jones? We haven't brought him up in a while. I was having my, my withdrawals, so I wanted to bring him back. So listen to Lloyd-Jones. He says, entering the narrow gate is not easy. It is difficult. You have to go out of your way to find this gate. You will have to analyze yourself and be very honest with yourself. And having refused to hold back, say, I'm going on with this until I discover exactly what I have to do. There are so many who do not find this way of life because they have never sought the gate and entered it. If you read the biographies of some of God's great saints in past times, you will find that they sought this straight gate for many a long day. Look at Martin Luther. There he is in his cell, fasting, sweating, praying. Read again about men like George Whitfield and John Wesley. These men were seeking the straight gate. They did not know what they had to do. They were wrong in their ideas, but at long last, by diligent seeking, they found it. And when they found it, they entered in. Now, in some way or another, we must all do that. In other words, we must give ourselves no rest or peace until we know for certain that we are on this way. That is entering the straight gate. End quote. 
I remember R.C. Sproul, you know, I've heard him in person a few times, and I, I, think, I, rem- I think that the last time that I, heard the, that I last heard him in person was uh, less than a year before he died. We had traveled to Florida, and we uh, went to St. Andrews, and he was preaching, and even when he was preaching, he uh, needed help to get to the pulpit. I don't know if you've ever seen St. Andrews, but they have a, it's a, it's a high pulpit, and it requires quite a climb. And uh, he almost needed a Sherpa, you know, to get up. Actually, he did have one to help him get up the steps. And he had an oxygen tank that he needed to help him preach. Uh, but he loved preaching the Word of God. And uh, I remember him saying during that sermon, well, he said two things. One was that uh, he could not, uh, he, he, he said that he felt convicted about smoking cigarettes. And I don't know, I don't think he's ever told this in Lenny Ligonier uh, 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 products probably. So if you listened online to something, you probably wouldn't hear him say this. But he said that he'd been trying to quit cigarette smoking for years, and he felt so guilty about it. And he said that this guilt just dogged him for years. And he said he put a picture of Jesus in his cigar- with his cigarette so that he'd see it every time that he would think about smoking. And I was like, why commit one sin just to, to stop yourself from another? But <laughs> got this picture of Jesus in there. So... <laughs> Half of you get that and half of you don't. But, but I remember him talking, though, about the fact that his whole point in talking through that was he was preaching from Galatians and he was talking about how the Christian life is not easy and it is filled with challenges in ways that God prunes us and shapes us and changes us and challenges on things challenges us on things that we didn't think were sins before. And maybe, maybe he convicts us later and shows us ways that we have to change. But, but in that sermon, I remember him saying, and I had heard him say this elsewhere before, but Jesus, Jesus, or Sproul said that he had always been told by all of these evangelists, all these people, that coming to Jesus would make his life easy, that, that becoming a Christian meant your difficulties would melt away, and it was, in a sense, life would become like a ride down a lazy river. And Sproul said instead, he said, my life didn't begin to get complicated until I became a Christian. In a sense, that's how you know you're on the, the narrow path, right? Suddenly your life gets harder, even as it gets easier. Uh, you see, he had found himself taking the narrow path. Jesus is challenging us. He's challenging us to really follow him, right? Let's not talk about following Jesus. Let's not play act at following Jesus. Let's not go through the motions of following Jesus. Let's not tell people we're following Jesus. All of that talk is the easy path. It is the wide path. Anyone can do that. And millions of people do that every day. Jesus says, stop playing. Stop acting. Actually follow me. And when you do, you will find it's easier and more challenging all at the same time. So will you hear his challenge this morning? Will you take that challenge seriously? And by the way, this challenge hangs over the rest of this. So don't look at this as a separate message from what we're about to see or the warning at the end. Will you be challenged by Jesus today? Will you take that challenge seriously? Now, second, Jesus presses us toward real faith and not play acting at faith. And he does it by means of the test of the fruits. You see this in verse 15. He says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. 
So Jesus is leading off here with a negative example, right? There are some who are play-acting, right? That's what he was just challenging us not to do in the last section. Now here he comes, he brings us to these people, this illustration, a real-life illustration of individuals who are play-acting. They are one thing. What are they? They're wolves, but they pretend to be another thing. What is that? Sheep, right? So they play as sheep, and they are the total opposite. In other words, this is not a hypothetical This is not alarmism to warn people against hypocrisy. Jesus is not chicken little, right? This really happens. And and he's saying, look, I know that it really happens, and you know it really happens, because look at the false prophet. Uh, They think they're the most serious, religious, hardcore followers of God that there there is, but their lives are really centered around them and not Christ. So if you, if you don't take the narrow way, if you won't take the hard way, then you, you'll resemble everyone else. You'll, you'll look like everyone else. You will go through the motions like everyone else. But God knows the truth. These are false prophets. They look so good. They look so convincing, so persuasive. And none of it is true. It is a facade. One of the points... Jesus is making here, he's going to emphasize this even more in the next point, is that the the church is a mixed company with people who have genuine faith and those who pretend to have faith or who who think that they have faith but don't have faith. He He uses the example of wheat and tares, right? They're all growing up in the same field alongside of one another, but there is coming a day where all, where the harvest is going to happen. But in the meantime, believers and unbelievers are side by side in the church. It's a mixed company, intentionally, by design. But it's like Jesus is talking to the sheep here, and he's saying on the one hand, be careful of the people among you who seem great, but it's not sincere. Don't listen to them and don't follow them. So you notice that, 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 that the, the way Jesus speaks of them, they do seem good. And... Even in our land, you can think of churches today who have fine-sounding preachers who seem good, people with big smiles who will tell you that God loves you too much to ever call you to change, or who with all the apparent kindness in the world and the gentlest tone of voice will tell you that you can have Jesus and keep your sin. And sometimes the error is even more subtle than that. In other words, a gentle tone of voice a kind delivery, a willingness to say things that sound basically right is not all that makes someone truthful. It is the substance that matters. It's the heart that matters. And that's bigger and deeper than the superficial appearances. On the one hand, Jesus is making the point of the narrow gate stark and visible, right? If you won't take the narrow narrow gate, the hard path, you'll be choosing to live like these people. You'll be a hypocrite too. You will be like the wolves who are pretending to be sheep. He says, don't pretend, be real. How? How can you, how can you do that? How can you challenge yourself to do, to do that? How can you look around you and know what's true and what's false? Well, he says, look at verse 16. He gives this test. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? 
So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Um, Jesus makes this point here that's very important. What is in the heart eventually shows up in a person's life and in a person's beliefs. See, there's a, there's a consistency between who we are in here and how we are out there. People can pretend for a while, but it's very hard to pretend for a lifetime. This probably deserves its own sermon altogether, but, if, but for the moment, let's just see how it fits with what Jesus is saying. It tells us that you shouldn't fake it till you make it. That's something they say in the tech world. That's something they say in the business world. The Christian life is not that. You do not fake it till you make it because you can't. You can't fake fruit. Um, certainly not over the long run. It is too exhausting. It is too draining to just pretend. Eventually the truth comes out. One way it comes out is, is in teaching. Right? It comes out in, in, in our teachings. It, it comes out in what we, we say we believe. Where, where there's a consistent problem that the teaching doesn't match what Scripture says. Right? He's talking about teachers on one level. That's his illustration that he's using. One way that, that the false teachers in the Old Testament would, would work is they would come and they would bring good news. They would bring happy news. And people would like them and they would like what they had to say. And yet, what was the problem? The problem was it did not match with reality. See, God brings this accusation in Jeremiah eight 11. I've always thought this was an incredibly convicting verse for a pastor who is tempted to preach only easy things. So listen to, listen to Jeremiah eight eleven. He's accusing these, these people of only preaching good things. He says, They have healed the wound of my people lightly, saying, Peace, peace, when there is no peace. They are saying good-sounding things, but when you test the fruit, you see that God, that they don't speak for God. Right? They, don't, they speak to be seen. They speak to be appreciated. They speak to be heard by, by man. Right? They have an audience. The audience is not God. It is man. And so the stuff they say doesn't end up happening. Right? That is one of the tests of the fruits. Either they spread false teachings or they consume and delight in false teachings. In the book of Acts, what happens? The Bereans, they test the fruit of Paul by holding the words that he speaks up to Scripture and asking whether what he was saying was really true. That's, that's, that's testing fruit. Another way the fruit shows itself is in the life of the hypocrite, not just in the teaching, but in the life, right? Now, I want to be really careful here because all Christians, all true followers of Christ, this side of glory, engage in a struggle with their sinful flesh. And it would be really easy for me to speak of sin and the Christian in such a way that I speak as though those two things can't be together. That you cannot be a Christian who has sin in his life. Christians resonate with what Paul says in Romans 7. You remember Romans 7? Uh, as a high schooler, I remember reading Romans chapter 7 and spending a great deal of time there and thinking, Yes, this is me. I live here. Paul says... Wretched man that I am, who will rescue me from this body of death? These are words that all Christians consistently feel like they could say. So the test is not, do you sin? 
The question is, is there a battle against sin? Do you repent when you do sin? See, for the Christian, there is a battle. There is a struggle that is evident in the Christian's life. It's what makes the narrow path so hard to travel, right? For the Christian, he experiences that pull of sin and then that desire to change and, he, and that desire to repent. And, and, and that's evident in his life too. And so he sins, but he's sorry and he admits it. You see, a Christian admits when, when they're wrong. A Christian struggles to come back to the Lord when he's called to change. Here's what happens with the hypocrite. A hypocrite has no struggle. He has no problem. A hypocrite doesn't have any enemies in the world, the flesh and the devil. They, they leave him alone. For the hypocrite, the world, the flesh and the devil leave him alone. They're at peace with him. He's no threat to them. And so there is no struggle. And so if you find yourself struggling and wrestling and, and fighting and, and hating the sin that you see in your own heart, you should see that as a sign of life, not death. It is a sign that you are a believer, not a hypocrite. The struggle itself is fruit, is a fruit of repentance. It's a, it's a fruit of genuine faith, not a sign that you're a hypocrite. So Jesus gives this test of fruits to steer his listeners toward really following him and not pretending to follow him. He says, don't pretend anymore. Really follow me and live the hard life that is filled with tension. Let that struggle, let that battle be a part of your life. That's, that's on purpose. That's not a bug in the system. That is a feature. Then third, Jesus pushes us towards sincere faith. He pushes us away from hypocrisy with this stark and seemingly hard-edged warning. I'm going to read it all. And then we're going to talk about it. Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. This is Jesus getting as direct and as stern and as serious as you could possibly imagine. Right? There, is, there is a temptation to think that the religious words, the religious actions, the religious teachings, the religious observances of our life will be something that we could present to God one day even as evidence of a sincere faith. But Jesus here is excluding religious observance as an evidence of what we've talked about. Look at the things that he's run through here. Many mighty works, prophecies, casting out demons, all of these things that you could see in their lives. And Jesus is excluding those as evidence. He says, this is not the fruit that I am talking about. Jesus is illustrating these truths by taking us on a journey to the end of time where the books are opened and all of us do one day stand before God to give an account of our lives. And in that moment, Jesus says, there will be those who have fooled themselves into believing that they were his religious people. They will be convinced of their security and surprised by the truth. And it is sad because many even today hear 
what they think is a gospel. They hear what they are told is a gospel. The, the teachers might even use the word gospel and talk about Jesus. Uh, the spectators will hear a feel-good message about how wonderful they are. They will hear powerful music. They will have experiences even of religious ecstasy. They will really think that the stodgy folks in the other churches are missing out, right? They will volunteer in the right places, show up for every service. They have learned to believe because of false teaching that they are okay and God is okay and everybody is happy. And yet they've not been taught about what it means to be rescued from the wrath of God and to know Christ. They haven't been pressed to reckon with their own sin, and so they don't have a reason to throw their hope on Jesus. And so when they stand before the Lord on the day, they'll be like, I was religious, Lord. And they'll bring all their religion before him, and they'll talk about the emotional experiences that they had during the music time, and they'll bring all the feels that they experienced, and all the money they gave, and all the memes that they shared, and all the mission trips that they went on, and they'll offer those things to God as proof. And Jesus will say, you have been deceived. You wanted my benefits. You didn't want me. You wanted what you could get from me, but I never knew you. You talked about living for me, but you were lawless. You lived for yourself. You weren't repentant. You weren't sorry for your sin. There was no struggle in your life. The world, the flesh, and the devil were your friends, but I never knew you. Here's what Jesus isn't asking you for. He's not calling you to do more, make more, volunteer more, evangelize more, do exorcisms more, do prophecies more, do works more, do ceremonies more. Jesus wants you to come to him for him. The goal here is not to win your way into his graces. That's exactly how the hypocrites live. That's all they know what the gospel is. It's all external for them. It's all performance and no faith. The call of Jesus is so much lighter and easier than that. It's so much easier than that. He says, Come to me, look to me, find hope in me, repent of your sin, repent of your self-trust, admit that you're sinful, and take shelter in the one who knew no sin and had no sin, but was sacrificed for sin. That's what it means to really know Jesus. It means to come to him, not for his benefits, not for his blessings, not for what he gives, not for the verdict you hope he'll pronounce, but for who he is, so that on the day he can say, I knew you and you knew me. We know each other. Depending on your disposition, this scripture can either be a source of incredible encouragement or great vexation. I, I think for many Christians, a text like this is it's a kick in the pants. It, it reminds you how important it is to take spiritual things seriously. It's a wake-up call that forces us to soberly reflect on just how easy it is to persuade ourselves that we know Christ when really we have been religious performers. For many Christians, that wake-up call is needed, and, and maybe you hear it and and you're getting it. You're getting this morning just what you needed. And, and the Lord is going to use it to shape you and drive you deeper into Christ. But 
for some Christians, they hear this passage and all they hear is terror. It, if you're prone to morbid introspection, and so many Christians are, if you're prone to that, if you're prone to never really noticing spiritual fruit that God is working in you, here's what's going to happen. This passage will just feel oppressive. And it isn't the text's fault, right? The te- it's not the text's fault that we hear that. These, these warnings here are absolutely good. They are for our good. But see, here's what happens. Our own hearts take a good thing that Jesus gives and we will bend it and we will twist it and mess it up and ruin it. And if you look at this text today, here's what I do not want. Here's what Jesus does not want. Jesus is not inviting you to despair today. He is inviting you to true faith in him. Real faith. That's, that's, that's the whole reason he's giving the warning so that you will hear what he's positively setting before you. He is inviting you to real, not pretend faith. He is inviting you not to Jesus the idea, not to Jesus the religious icon, not Jesus the, the shibboleth, not Jesus the magic word. No, he is warning you that it is easy to fall into that. Instead, this is a text where he's telling you, come to me. Really come to me. Don't, don't go through the motions. Don't take the easy path. Actually make your life about me and dig your roots down deep into me. Here's, what's ha- here's what happens if you read this passage in a morbidly introspective way. You misunderstand Jesus and his whole point. Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. But instead, if you misunderstand that, what you'll hear is Jesus saying this. It's up to you. Make your roots grow deep in your own soil. Think of yourself. Think of how good you are. Think of how good you're not. Think of how rich your soil is. Think of how rich your soil isn't. Think of how much you've grown. Think of how much you haven't grown. Think of how holy your heart is. Think of how unholy your heart is. Think of how kind you are. Think of how unkind you are. Think of how generous you are. Think of how ungenerous you are and stingy you are. Think of how many people you've evangelized. Dwell on those you haven't. Did you hear Jesus say that? Do not hear that. Jesus didn't say that. What a poisonous twist on the gospel. Please do not hear Jesus telling you to hope more in yourself and stare more at yourself. He is calling you to faith in him, not you. Jesus Jesus brings a gentle and gracious invitation here to truly follow him, warning you of the pitfalls. And and you may be mishearing Jesus' words as a disguised invitation to follow yourself. I want you to hear the real message. And this isn't just for those with morbid introspection that a passage like this brings a feeling of despair. This is for all people to hear. Today's warning is Jesus calling you to jump in headfirst and truly follow him. He's inviting you to come 
and find your life and find your health in him. I mean, think of the illustration of the tree and its fruits, right? He is, he is inviting you to find your sustenance. He is inviting you to find your health. He's inviting you to find your life from the soil of Jesus with the light of the Spirit shining on the leaves and with the water of the Word coming to you from Him. All of that is an invitation to find life outside of you. Jesus is saying, open up and let me minister to you. Stop looking in here. Stop looking for life to come from in here. Let me come in. Let me give you water. Let me give you life. That is what Jesus is doing today. He is not terrorizing us. He is giving us life. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, how tempting it is to set our eyes, our hope, and everything we are on ourselves. We are very prone to it. Yes, you call us to self-examination, but not so that we will find our hope in here. You call us to true faith, not false faith. And so would you grant that to all who are hearing your word right now? Would you send your spirit to us that we would receive the good that Christ has for us? That we would find no hope in our own hearts, but in Jesus with all his riches and all his grace. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Mm-hmm.